podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, this is Naisha Gadani coming to you from your career down under and me and Caroline Brown are back delivering another career care package. And before we start, happy Friday. In case you don't know, it's Friday in case you've been living uh, the way I am or my family is for last few weeks, you know, I have to you know, tell my kids, oh, it's Friday today. Oh, yeah. For them, it's every day is the same because we can't even step out of a home. Um, but, you know, really happy Friday. Hope you are having a great Friday. And, uh, you know, we are back to, to talk about another interesting topic as we continue our tradition to provide hope and optimism to job seekers out there who are struggling at this point in time. Or even though you are not struggling, you know, you, know you, you won't mind a bit of hope and a bit of inspiration. Uh, you know, we are joined uh, by Anand uh, Tamboli today. Anand is uh, a friend of mine who we met on LinkedIn a few months back. We had then had a coffee meeting, like the way you do it in Australia. You meet up people for a coffee uh, when he flew from Sydney to Melbourne. And we had interesting conversations since then. And uh, then I thought, you know, we must talk about uh, the, the things that he's passionate about because it is impacting uh you know a lot of jobs out there so that's why anand is here but i will let uh, caroline take the reins now and uh, you know i'll come back to you shortly thanks nash it's um fantastic to be here i can't believe it. i've been doing this for five six weeks now so um feels like a lovely routine to have it uh three o'clock every day melbourne time so today we've got anand tamboli and anand's a specialized specialist in AI and a consultant, an author, and a speaker. Um, now, we were saying before, one of the reasons we really wanted to have a chat with you, Anand, is basically there are a lot of people that are using this uh, pause, I suppose you could call it, with COVID-19 as an opportunity to reflect and redefine what they want to do. And that COVID-19 has obviously uh, accelerated a lot of the digital transformation within organisations and the work from home. So we're all sort of already embracing a future that was probably we couldn't conceive three three or four months ago. So I wanted to have a chat with you about the topic of AI, robotics, and the future of work. I know it's a huge topic. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess if uh, maybe a great place to start is to give people a background about what you do and how you came came to be doing what you do now. Sure. Uh, well, fantastic to be here. Really excited. The topic itself is exciting. And although it seems a bit a scary topic for some, but I think there is a, a ray of positive uh, hope out there. And not just mm. the hope, I will say there's, there's uh, more than that. 
So I essentially I love to inspire and enable people to build mm-hmm. and build a sustainable and better future. That's how I summit uh, whatever I do in my day-to-day life. So I work with organization as well as individuals and I help them uh, leveraging technology. So basically use technology rather than getting used by it and then develop a culture of say transformative innovation, get creative and uh, stay ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do that uh, through a number of uh, ways. So part of it, I speak globally. Uh, I speak on stage, off stage as well. Uh, I write books. Uh, I also uh, consult uh, individuals or uh, companies uh, in all these emerging technology areas and impacts of that. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what happened is, uh, many years ago, uh, when I was running my company called Neuron Technologies, and that I started 2009, uh, I realized that when I was on the delivery side of things, I was developing technological changes. There's always has been a resistance to change. And it's mm-hmm. not just when I was doing my own company's work, but even prior to that as a corporate. So there is a classic combination that there's a technological change and there is a resistance. Mm. And we always feel that why that resistance is it because people are not adapting to change and a number of other things. But it started to dawn on me that no, there's something fundamentally not, we're missing something. And what that is, so when I went on quest of finding that what that is and that, that I realized that it's not that the problem is the problem doesn't frustrate us. We know technology is coming. We, we know there, there are changes to the jobs, etc. The, the frustrating part where we resist is we don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it. Take an example, like if you're in a traffic, you will feel frustrated if you don't know shortcuts, if you don't know how to beat that traffic. But mm-hmm. the moment you know how to beat the traffic, you don't feel uh, frustrated. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, if technology is there, if technological change is coming, the only frustration, the only reason for resistance is knowing how to deal with it. Mm. That makes that, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you how, what do you see as the impact of AI on the workplace? I, I guess it's a, it's a really broad question, but are there a few sort of themes or broader things for people to, to think about in terms of impact? Yeah. So... Let me first explain uh, how, uh, what in general AI is. I mean, I know everybody uh, in today's world, they do know what AI is and it's not those scary robots, but it's automation. Mm. But if you, if you will summarize it in a very, uh, say crisper way, that think of it as an ability of a machine to learn how to do something mm. and then do it. So mm. the machine can learn and machine can do that job. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> to kickstart that work by machine, obviously humans are required to teach it first time and humans will intervene, but then a few times machine learns, it can go on its own. Mm. So that, that's pretty much how AI works in automation, whether it's robotics and all. So the moment machine reaches a certain level of accuracy, uh, well, uh, humans are not required to intervene anymore. Mm. So that's where uh, we, as a human, are basically useless. Machine can do much better job, mm. right? So 
if you look at it from a work perspective, how, how do you define work? What, what is the work? So look at it that we have a goal. There is a goal. There are certain ways to achieve that goal. Mm. And then you need to do certain things. Do you need to do a, a few few steps? And then you achieve that goal. That's what we call, okay, work is done. My mm. job is done. So if we can define this job, if we can define these tasks in this particular manner, in a sequential manner, and so clearly, it's easy for me to teach a machine to do that. Mm. Right, and once I teach the machine, it will learn to do it, and it will do it for me. Mm-hmm. What it essentially means, then, this job, this work as we know it, is automatable. I can mm-hmm. automate it, and that—that's where I think uh, the question comes in as to then what? If mm-hmm. machines can do it, if I can teach to machines, then next, what next? Mm-hmm. Right, <clears throat> and I believe you wanted to understand. Uh, why is it affecting work or uh, how, how much AI is uh, contributing in, in getting this work out of the way? Mm. So I'd like to give an analogy. Like uh, this is a very classic uh, narrative that gets built up by mostly by technology companies that, no, no, if you, if you see that AI has uh, removed certain jobs or certain uh, roles from, from the planet, you will see other set of jobs coming in as well. So if 100 million jobs go away, there will be at least 75, uh, 750 million uh, that would come in. So mm. no, no jobs are not going away. And I kind of uh, want to argue that point is, for that we have to go past a bit, say 200 years or so. So it, this is when before uh, industrial age, right? Mm. We had only number of tools such as hammer, bow, arrow, guns, and whatnot. And what tools would do to us? They would extend our human body's ability. So I can't uh, punch something. I can't punch a nail because I have uh, flesh. So I Mm. use a hard object to punch it. So I use hammer. So that's how my my bodily functions got extended with hammers and other tools. Mm. So it was just extension of... Uh, ability, but then came machines, industrial age. So we wanted to do big stuff, big things, big machines, uh, making cars and number of stuff. And people realize that it's it's not that humans can't do that anymore. We we don't have that power, right? Mm. So we we have an intellect, but physically it's impossible. That's when these machines gain that importance to augment human power. So we went from augmenting bodily abilities to the power augmentation. Mm. Then came computers. And the reason why computers became famous is because now they are improving efficiency of human being. So whatever Mm. we are doing, we need uh, intellectual ability as well as physical power to do it. So physical powers, machines are helping. Uh, Intellectual ability, now computers started helping, right? So all this while, now the computers are adding to increasing human efficiency. Then people started to realize that still as an enterprise, as a company, we still can't achieve 100% of the efficiency. We still can't mm. deliver uh, 100% of the times, all the time in full. And why is that? Where is the bottleneck? And then it was evident that the bottleneck is you and I mm. as a human. 
like a, a computer can work 24/7 the machine can work 24/7 there's only one person that who can't work 24/7 <laughs> is you so how do we get rid of that that bottleneck mm. and the the solution is automation mm. and you would see that most of the automation projects most of the software projects the the ultimate uh, bottom line impact or this is how they sell is you will save money mm. by uh, so many fts full time employees mm-hmm. right so that's where you're selling an enterprise efficiency by removing this last bottleneck mm. that's where this ai is coming and the ai is saying that look you you get aside you you're not doing good uh, mm. let me take over mm-hmm. and that's where i think uh, we need to understand that it's not that it's just going to create new jobs uh, there's there's going to be a significant displacement mm. all right it's not the same narrative that happened in industrial revolution this time it's different mm. is a um sectors that are more going to be more impacted i mean because we we hear about you know the knowledge worker so to speak mm. you know your job is more higher level thinking strategy planning so forth and then um but is there a sector that is going to be more affected or ultimately are, are all sectors going to be affected by smarter and smarter machines well that's interesting question because the moment you say that there's going to be an impact everyone wants to know am i safe or, or i'm just working on my resume right now no? <laughs> right but so if we see like where this ai creates an impact where mm-hmm. where this uh, artificial intelligence so we use that word very critically that this is an intelligence work this is not a physical or power work that's a robotics by the way yeah so any industry that leverages human intellect as an arbitrage such as say information supply or information management data collection analysis and likewise so these industries will see that impact first because they the arbitrage will shift from humans to to machine mm-hmm. and and mostly all the industries so this is not but in particular any one industry does that almost all the industries use it uh, to a point mm-hmm. but the ones which use heavily uh, who rely on human intellect will see that uh, significant impact so give you an example recruitment for instance Mm-hmm. earlier you would have relied on uh, recruiters or consultants uh, skills to scan through resumes and to identify potential candidates and now we know that ats is doing that job 100 times faster 1000 mm-hmm. times faster and repeatedly without any mistakes so or even paralegals for instance earlier paralegals the, the advocates and uh, barristers would want paralegals to uh, go through the notes find out things from documents now mm. automation you just search and is there or analysts the telemarketing umpires sports umpires mm. check out uh, kiosks fast food so these are the things where you will see that repetition of the job Mm. and there is no variety or there is no variation or or even if there is a variation that variation is acceptable variation these are the areas where you will see that uh, they they prone to uh, get affected first 
Mm. And once they're affected, then I think the next wave starts where people start to look after other opportunities saying, okay, now what can I automate? What's next? Yeah. So that's the, the direction that you, you see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I remember talking to a journalist probably three or four years ago about AI and she said that they would, she was in the career space and she was saying that, you know, I was saying, oh, yeah, you know, but writers, you know, we're, we're, we're clever people. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Nobody's going to replace us. But she said, oh, no, she'd seen something that could actually um, construct an article very, very quickly with the same intonation and the same logic that, that they could do as well. So mm. I find it really fascinating because it, it, for me, and, you know, I might be behind the eight ball with this, but it's really hard to envisage what that future looks like when it's moving so quickly or it seems to be moving so quickly and things that you, and maybe again, this is around human change, but things that you hold dearly about what you can do and what your special talent is, mm. knowing that that is, you know, maybe um, replicated or replaced or, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's actually very confronting to think about it. So it's exciting as well because you then think about what's next type thing. But is there any anything that you're particularly excited about in terms of um, the technology? Well, uh, interesting you mention uh, uh, writers or uh, mm. article writing in, in particular because even in that you will see an opportunity, right? Mm. If someone is writing in a, a repetitive style, that every single article you will see that follows the same style, same format, same intonation, Mm. Then, well, it's repetitive and uh, we, no wonder any uh, AI or any automation uh, can mm. replace it. But every single article, you, you see that it's different. Mm. It's got a different style of, or, or it just, the one thing is not the same as the other. Mm. Then there is no way that uh, automation can change it. Mm. And the same goes with uh, every other work. Mm. If you see that your work is uh, repeating, repeating and you're doing the same thing again and again and so looking at it from opportunity perspective like uh, where uh, automation can give me an opportunity if i load some of the tasks that i do repetitively and i don't want to really do that mm. they would definitely would be a good candidates to mm. do that right like for instance if a sewer line inspection comes into space Nobody wants to get down the sewer line. <laughs> you yeah. would rather want a, a robot to go there and do it for you. Mm. Right? So there are definitely uh, areas where you want robots to take over and do that for you. Mm. And then you do the cream job and all. Mm. But then you look at the pyramid, a work pyramid, that that type of job, job the cream job, are less at the moment. Mm. So it becomes a crowded space. So we're not saying that automation is bad from that perspective. Automation is taking out the mundane jobs. This is taking out dirty jobs or things that you wouldn't really want to do. You're just doing it because you have no choice or mm. uh, basically you never thought beyond that. But now that you have time to think beyond it and now you have opportunity to think beyond it, then really it's pushing that uh, creative boundary, saying that mm. now think hard and see where you can add more value mm. and really create something the so creative and create it's not creative being artistic creative being create something mm. 
mm. that hasn't been there before. Yeah, that's a fascinating time. Nash, did you have any questions? I've got, I think I've got three, four questions. But if I can share a story, you know, last year when we went to Adelaide and, uh, you know, we went to Borosa Valley as you would go when you go to Adelaide. Uh, uh, you know, they, they had a, uh, you know, they had craftsmen's uh, kind of, uh, you know, a bazaar, but they yeah. had different craftsmen. They had leather works from somebody who used to make uh, like tailored things. And there was a knife maker and he showed us a knife, which was probably around thousand dollar knife. But he said that knife is tailored made for you. So they, they take measurements of how do you really hold the knife? You know what kind of you know things do you want to cut? So you know it goes like like an interview, and then mm. they select the metal for you and then prepare. And then if whenever you you run out of the edge or you know when it requires sharpening, you send it to them. They'll sharpen and send it back to you. But then he told me that there is there is another knife artist which is um, in uh, Port Gambier, and he makes knife that takes one month and he's charges thousands of dollars for that but top chefs of the world gets those knives and i thought this kind of thing ai robotics can never take away because they are very tailored customized you know one piece of equipment is made for someone so coming back to my question is that you know are you seeing that ai is also intruding into more intuitive tasks as well which requires two different concepts, merging two different concepts and and then, uh, you know, producing something to just on the same line. When I was talking about writing, I thought maybe there has to be a way that cover letter can be written by an artificial intelligence because they are lethargic to write. It's not everyone loves it. Right. How can a cover letter can be written? Right. So, you know, but, but that requires a bit of marketing skill that requires a bit of, you know, career skills and understanding of the recruitment market. So coming back to, are you seeing that they are becoming more intuitive in the way they implement artificial intelligence? Uh, not presently. And I would say it's a far, far away from doing that. You see, one of the, the biggest difference that uh, humans have and AI doesn't have uh, is the context, the way we use the context, right? So as of now, you will see all the AIs, no matter how great AI is, it's, it has a context, it's a narrow AI. And uh, being a general AI is far from uh, the reality as of now. But if you take, so I, can't, I cannot take AI or, or say chatbot, a chatbot used in a banking industry and deploy that chatbot, a learned chatbot who, who I've taught in banking industry and deploy it in a, a healthcare. I simply can't do that. I have to start over right from the beginning. But you can take an employee from banking industry and put him in healthcare in one day. He's just adjusting himself. And even sometimes it's, he doesn't even need that adjusting. Some of this, if he's in sales, the sales in banking versus sales in healthcare or sales in somewhere else, that's just the same. Pretty mm -hmm. much same, right? So we can quickly adapt between the context and we can use skill learn in one context into another so that's the transferable skills mm. so if you have those skills that are transferable you're more valuable than having non-transferable skills mm. right so then again your jobs uh, from that perspective 
are, are not at high risk because you can keep hopping and you can keep uh, moving around mm. and still say it's safe. So coming to your uh, cover letter, oh. I think better AI doesn't write that. <laughs> I just had all cover letters will look just the same. <laughs> I had a little vision of like our AI cover letter generator speaking to the recruiter's ATS machine and nobody getting involved <laughs> in the recruitment process, which is probably great. All right, let's take some questions. Uh, we got we got at least three, four questions. So uh, the question comes from a test analyst um, that how do you see automation in terms of software test testing? Will manual testing no longer be required? So uh, typically there are two, two kinds of testing I have seen. Uh, one is the typical uh, test scenarios. You, you run those scenarios and the test happens. And because they're quite well-defined, they have to be quite well-defined, right? In a testing world, you have to have that this is the use case or user case. Uh, this is the output I expect. Uh, this is what is complete no-no and this is what is acceptable. So number of this is pretty much like a, in a tabular format and testers just go through that and fill in their remark. That's the number one thing to get automated. And a lot of uh, automation tools do that. What cannot be automated is the human instinctive uh, failures. A lot of failures that uh, you can't document, you can't envisage. So one of the things I often say that if you want to catch a thief, you have to think like one, right? So if you want to, if you're testing a system for its resilience, if you want to say that, look, is it hackable? Is it, uh, is it prone to some kind of a malpractice? Then you, you can't use those normal testing scenarios because hackers are not going to go and do that in a systematic uh, technical manner. The easiest thing is throw a spanner and it will hold. So then you can't think without being a person and thinking that those shoes. That's where I think testing can't be automated. And a lot of things uh, in, in cybersecurity world, it's called as a red team. So red team testing. It's, it's absolutely, and it's different from penetration testing a lot of people use, is where you think like a hacker and how hacker will do. It's not just software. It will They will use social engineering. They can just come and steal your path and do that. So it involves a, a part digital, part physical world. Uh, that's where I think testing uh, cannot intrude yet. Mm. Excellent. So hopefully that taste analyst uh, will have a sigh of relief after listening to this, uh, Anand. Uh, the second question is the impact of uh, AI on functional business analyst um, in a financial or capital markets or anything. What are your views on, on someone who is a business analyst? Are there opportunities for AI to intrude into that? Uh, in fact, uh, I think uh, we, we talked briefly before that analyst role is quite risky. And risky because uh, analysis is repetitive in nature, unless it is combined with insights, which only a human combined with their experience, combined with your current context, combined with what you perceive as your, your customer or your, your employer is expecting out of it, 
then then your insights change so numbers may look the same but the way you rec your recommendation changes that will be different so if your analysis role is of that level you're still safe i would say but if your analysis simply says okay do the numbers crunch the numbers and provide this in a graph or table and that's it uh, highly risky because uh, you, you just need to automate it a lot of uh, softwares now do that right so tableaus and whatnot build a macro on excel it will mm. still do the same it's just yeah so think from another that perspective thing was, you know the the i, I think Sorry. Another thing was, you know, I think Bill Gates, when he was in, in interviewed, uh, you know, a few years back, he, I think he talked about the tax on robots and artificial intelligence and uh, just to make sure that, you know, the, the people who lose the job or, you know, the, the organizations are also contributing because, you know, you know, as you rightly pointed out, AI can work 24 seven without taking sick leave, annual leave, uh, long service leave, anything. Hmm. So how do you see organizations are really sort of, you know, taking their social responsibility, if, you know, as well? And I, I know this is probably a philosophical argument more than anything else. But but are the organization becoming very, uh, you know, insightful, thoughtful about the impact of them? Because that may wipe away many, many jobs, you know, in bigger organizations that could mean hundreds of thousands of jobs. Over a period of time may not be in one day but how organizations are really seeing this and are they seeing this as an opportunity to retrain their staff or investing into new training uh, and everything what are you what are your observations and if you can cite an example of someone who's doing a really great job at that right so you'll see a lot of companies uh, they do realize that if they do automation they'll have to let go of number of people and it's a very i would say it's a weird choice that you want to do both it's like asking do you do you want, do you like mom or dad and you can't really tell what because uh, one side there is a profit there is efficiency there is uh, business benefit and then the other side it is the your your employees the loyal employees in the camaraderie and all that basically human to human uh, connection so there are a lot of companies who are giving thought to it. They're being thoughtful about it. And, but then in terms of say, how they react to that, how they respond to these kind of things, some just give a lip service saying that, okay, we feel sorry about it. Uh, we'll help you with the transition and all that. But then, yeah, so it's, it's I would say this is uh, pretty at the fag end of implementation. There are a lot of companies which identify beforehand and okay, if, if we do this next year, this means uh, a lot of jobs would get displaced. So they start doing that retrainings. They start placing people or at least conditioning people in that manner that so that they are aware at what is coming in and they can adapt to the change. And they're providing opportunities in terms of uh, uh, retraining in other areas. A lot of companies I've seen uh, they they do allow people actively to pursue other careers like second job or maybe side hustle or something and they encourage them doing that there was a time when uh, this, these kind of things were frowned upon as to you're not being loyal to the company but now this is a need uh, 
So uh, people are being flexible. So all the market leading companies who are known for their values and purposes, they're doing it, mm. all, all the big ones. But those companies who have been pretty much transactional, right? always believing just that do the transaction, do the business, no matter how, uh, I think that that's where uh, a lot of gap is. People mm. still need to catch up as to how to see the human side of change. What about from an individual point of view? Like, you know, if I'm in that scenario, what's what's the most useful mindset or skill that I could a, a, a acquire that would help me um, become more employable or more useful to the organisation in the future? Right. So, look, a number of things that you would often hear is that people need to be adaptable to mm -hmm. the change. Uh, you need to be able to unlearn and learn new things. But uh, th those are common, right? That they are already there and they are fundamental requirements that if you're not adaptable to uh, changes, uh, you, you wouldn't even go and learn new things. Mm. But then there's other piece of uh, thing that one need to look at is how innovative and how creative you are at a core that you can join number of things. So uh, to, to give you an example, like if I'm good at say selling something, selling a product, but if you ask me a question, what exactly I'm really good at part of mm -hmm. the selling and we don't really go down that path. Mm -hmm. Like selling, selling involves number of things, talking to people, convincing, overcoming objections and negotiation and whatnot. So exactly what am I good at? And if I go down further saying that, no, actually I'm good at finding new people and connecting with them. Mm. Negotiation, is, negotiation is probably not my forte. I might get uh, my colleague to help me out with that, but I'm really good at connecting with people. Mm. Now that is something, can you use that skill? Where can you use that skill? Now, mm. now it's not industry specific, mm. wherever you need people to be identified, new people to be identified and connected. That's where all is where the opportunity lies. Mm. So once we start critically questioning as to what we are good at, and then we go two levels down, not just saying, okay, I'm good at this, but okay, mm. exactly what I'm good at. That's where uh, you will start to uncover a lot of uh, value Mm. And then you will see that, no, no, my job is, even though it seems same, but I'm not the same. Mm. I have something different. And mm. that different is where you start articulating, whether you're writing a cover letter, whether you're writing uh, your resume, whether you are approaching someone, mm. that is the difference you're highlighting. Mm. You're not highlighting I'm a sales guy and I'm not the best sales guy. You're highlighting mm. that one thing that distinguishes you. Mm. That's where I think people need to start digging deeper mm. and change that outlook. Yeah, I think we do go through life with an assumed set of skills about what we're good at rather than um, drilling into the why or what, what, what goes into making me, me good at that. It's mm. funny, I was just reflecting, you know, some of the people that we've been speaking to on, on this career care package have that portfolio career and they... They do have, I think, a core set of strengths, but they they apply that that those strengths in different contexts. So, for example, mm. we had um, 
Um, Christina Cantor's on yesterday, who is a communications coach, but she's also a podcast, interesting podcaster, and she coaches people on podcasting. Um, and then she does a couple of other different things around that that communication as well. So it's that that key strength applied in 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 different ways. But I think like like you're saying, it comes from a depth of understanding about what makes somebody a great communicator or what makes her a great trainer or communicator as well. So mm. um, yeah, and what I I mean, I often find people in their careers like if they come to me for a resume, for example, it might be the first time that somebody's ever said, you know. A, what do you really enjoy and why? And mm. what do you think your your achievements or, you know, if we talked about what you've done, what, what do you really think they say, they say about you? And, you know, I don't know that people routinely do that um, throughout their career. So yeah, I hear what you're saying, basically. And part of it, I think, is also because uh, we are too uh, busy moving mm. forward that we don't take a pause and think that exactly w why people value my work. Mm. Like, do we even go further and ask in detail exactly what you like or what made you change your mind and etc. But now it's it's a lucky time that we got that pause. Mm. Uh, we can think a bit deeper. Mm. Yeah. All right. So um, I think I think when, when you talked about the you know taking a pause and reflect, it reminds me of a fascinating. Uh, talk and uh, which I highly recommend everybody should listen by a guy called Pico Iyer. It's a philosophical talk, mm -hmm. but he also talks about the art of doing nothing. You know, mm -hmm. because you got to you got to deliberate, deliberately. Not even in not even like currently we are not in a deliberate pause. We are in a forced pause. Yeah. But is arguing the whole idea of deliberately pausing, reflecting, thinking. And then moving forward, and you know, you know, yeah. So if you if you go to YouTube, Pico Iyer, there is a talk on, on doing nothing or so, you know some some sort of it's fascinating, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thinking. Uh, so if we can if we can just last question, uh, there are comments. People are sort of agreeing to what you are saying. Uh, one of the things is that what do you see in the after the the pandemic gets over, probably. You know, gets over is probably not the right word because you know nobody knows how long the virus will stay in the community. No one knows really. But you know, mm. let's say that you know, in six months' time, you know, things start to come back to at least some normality. Do you see that the organization will still ramp up the effort, or they will, you know, this is going to stall some of their effort? What are you seeing in the in the post COVID nineteen? I hate to use that word, but post COVID nineteen era. Look uh, again. If I think it purely from an enterprise perspective, and if I'm if I'm an owner of an enterprise, if I'm uh, the senior leader out there, it it's my duty or it's my it's in my benefit to leverage the opportunity. If somehow the the transformation is accelerating, I would want to keep the momentum, right? And if if there is a choice again, if there is a choice to choose between automation and keeping people, uh, most of the times, unfortunately, people would choose the automation part of it. Because as an entity, as a business, their objective is not giving jobs. Their objective is making profit. That's the ultimate goal. So I, I think that that's where 
if you look at from enterprise perspective, uh, they will do their job and they will keep doing this uh, to their core. So that's the business model and we have to agree to that. I think we as an individual, as a job seeker or an employee, uh, I think what we need to do is understand as to where to draw a line, where do you start to make a change? Like, uh, I remember there's one example I gave you earlier and this is often I use this example is, uh, late 60s, 1960s, there was a there was a scholar named Dr. Albert Bartlett. He was a mathematician, but he gave very interesting example on exponential growth. And his statement was that one of the biggest uh, limitation of human race has been that we don't understand exponential growth uh, really what it is. So it gives an example. Assume there is there is a bottle and in that bottle you put a bacteria and bacteria is double every like constantly the doubling so one becomes two two to four four to eight eight sixteen and likewise and he says that assume that every minute when you're observing the quantity is doubling so if you put bacteria one bacteria at eleven o'clock and twelve o'clock you see that bottle is full what do you think at what time do you think the battle bottle was half full and the quick answer most of the people would say that oh 11 30 mm -hmm. and that's not bottle was half full at 11 59 just a minute before because it's doubling every minute so it was 50 percent 11 59 and then became 100 percent full and so if you track backward like 11 55 it was just barely three percent full so that's the exponential change. And if I were one of those bacteria, I wouldn't even think of this being a problem five minutes before. Let So entire hour is gone, just five minutes remaining, and I still don't see a problem. And the moment I see a problem, like 11.59 or maybe 12, it's too late. I can't, I can't adapt to that change. Now, assuming that I'm a smart bacteria rather than being laid back, 11.55, I realized that no, in five minutes, I'm going to get into a trouble. Let me find another bottle. So I go on a search and quickly I find two more, three more bottles. So now we feel, wow, I've got three more bottles. Now I can adapt to this. But then think again, what happens? 12 o'clock, you've got first bottle full. 1201 it's double. So now two bottles are full. You've got only two bottles remaining. And 12.02, all are full. Because it's again double. Now the point being here is this, this metaphor says that there is a limitation to human adaptation. Like we cannot keep adapting and adapting and adapting. We can't overrun some of the changes, especially the exponential changes. What we need to do is basically flank it which is where one of the term uh, you must have heard is a transformative innovation. It's not incremental change. You change the game, you change the way you look at things. You can write a better cover later, you can write even better cover later, and you can even write better cover. There will be a point where you will say, no, I think I need to chuck the cover later. I need to do something else now. I need to change my strategy completely. And that's where, uh, as an individual, if you're listening to this show, I would recommend now onward, start thinking in that direction, not just adapting, adapt for a short term, 
But if you're thinking long-term and long-term meaning three years to five years or even forward, don't just use tactical adaptation techniques, uh, build on unique qualities that you have as a human, because we have power to create, we have power to innovate, we have power to choose. Let's use that power. Wow, that's a great way to, to sum it all up, I think, for people, because, I mean, we do go from the known to the unknown and sometimes that leap, you know, that leap is hard for people depending on, you know, what, what they've experienced. So I love that analogy of just, you know, perhaps trying something different that you thought you could never do before, for example. Um, you know, I've always been a great fan of doing a bit of experimentation of, you know, just doing something for the sake of doing it. Because you, you don't know what you're great at. You don't know what you, you, you like unless you actually have a red-hot go, I think. So, yeah. Excellent. That's a fascinating thing that we want to end this conversation with. I'm pretty sure that that will be enough stimulation for people to that last over this weekend and they mm. don't freak out. Um, <laughs> now, if people want to reach out to you and, and understand what you do, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Best way, go on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I'm open to connections. I'm open to messages. You can write to me or connect with me, ask questions. Always happy to answer. Fantastic. Excellent. Karolinka, uh, do you want to uh, tell people about the link thing and then I will wrap this up? Yep. So I'll put the link in. Nation and I are continuing to do these until we're not sure when. So, um, But we've got some great guests coming up um, next week. We've got a, an author, Laura, who uh, changed her career. She wrote this uh, took this epic, epic journey by herself as a single woman across New Zealand on a, a walk um, and at the same time transferred, trans, changed her career to become a travel writer. So a great story. So that's on Tuesday. Monday we've got Ask Us Anything. We've got a couple of special guests we're lining up for that. Um, so really looking forward to next week. So I'll put the link to sign up to the email to be notified in the comments. And... Um, have a great weekend, everyone. Looking Really looking forward to catching up next week. Thank you very much, Anand. To complete that, I think you've been absolutely fascinating. Some of the discussion is are worth talking about and thinking about it. You know, you know, we don't obviously want people to act hastily on this and suddenly you want to, you know, change your career now. You know, so think about it. You know, read, uh, you know, and, and I think one of the things that I really want you to try is, is to try it out is to talk to people, is to is to engage in real conversation rather than engaging onto an email. Oh, should I check, should I, uh, you know, check this career out? No, engage in conversation, listen, and then apply some of your experience into that. Okay. So thank you again, Anand. Uh, you know, we should be very best with everything that you're doing. My pleasure, Nashad. Caroline, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Bye, everyone. Uh, in this week, we, oh, we started with really leadership uh, and we ended in, in this week, we started with leadership. Then we dwelled into how introverts can deal with communication. We had a communication coach. Um, then we had uh, someone who talked about agility in career. And now we are ending up with AI. We have done our, from a philosophical point of view to a technological, everything in between. And that's the aim. 
uh, of us. We don't want this show to be a standard career kind of show. We want it that we want to bring different and absolute out of the left field perspective into things. So if you think that there is a great guest or great author out there that we should reach out, don't hesitate. Ask us that, look, Caroline, can you reach out to this person because it's fascinating or she's fascinating. But we will reach out to them because what we want to do is to bring as much perspective and thinking and ideas to you so that you can survive and thrive in these uh, unprecedented times. Um, you know, and as I always say, you can always go and subscribe to our podcast, which is just down there, Your Career Down Under, and these episodes are, will be there uh, tonight, and there are other episodes already there. So last thing is stay safe, stay healthy, everyone, and stay indoors, everyone. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you again, everyone. See you later. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au And if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.